So we are in the season of Lent. In the church calendar, the season of Lent is the 40 days or the six Sundays leading up to Easter. And this is a period of time where we stop, we pause, and we reflect on our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And we do this through self-denial, right? So some of us may fast during Lent from things that um, may be attractive to us and things that really are maybe even vices to us. And we take a moment in this season and we say, I'm going to set this aside so that I can prepare myself to receive Christ at Easter. And here we've been going through the book of John as a guide for us to go through this season and this journey of Lent. This series called John, the Gospel of Light and Love. Now, the Gospel of John, just to give you a little bit of context again, you would have heard in the earlier weeks, this gospel was written about 50 years after Jesus died. And it was written by one of his closest companions, and it details the account of Jesus' life, just like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's different from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are called, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic gospels. And synoptic is just a word that breaks down to mean seeing with one eye. So those three gospels tell one story. They have similar ways of telling the story. They share a lot of the stories. But the gospel of John is very different. The Gospel of John has been often described as the spiritual gospel. And one of the things that's really central to understanding the book of John is this idea of the incarnation, right? That this is central to his gospel message. I mean, we read it in John chapter 1. The Word was with God, and then the Word became flesh, right? And so John is trying to tell the story of blending just this beautiful divinity of Christ but how this divinity has come in human form. And so for the writer of John, it's not just about what Jesus said and did, but it was about why Jesus mattered and why he still matters today. So Jesus, um, today we're going to talk from a passage where he's preparing to have a talk with his disciples. And the title of this message is Breaking the News. He's breaking some news to his disciples And in this passage, we begin to see that Jesus is preparing to say goodbye. And it's fitting, obviously, today because (laughs) this is my last hurrah, um, which is actually a happy coincidence. Um, And I just want to say that this message, and and I'll get to it later on, is not about self-aggrandizing myself or bigging up myself. But I think it's really important for us when we read the words of Scripture to really see ourselves in the narrative, to see ourselves in the story, and to see how God is working in our lives today. So breaking the news. Um, In some ways, excuse me, we like breaking and shocking news, right? But we also hate it. We have this love-hate relationship with shocking or breaking news. We like it when it really don't have much to do with us, right? We love a good tabloid story, We love a good WhatsApp forward message that may or may not be true, but, you know, the lie is more entertaining, so why not, yeah? We also sometimes hate breaking news when it has something to do with us, right? When there's some loss or some unfortunate thing that happens or some unexpected bump in the road. We don't care for that kind of news. Um, As the song and the whiz says, don't nobody bring me no bad news, right? Even when you think about how sometimes we are desensitized to breaking news or shocking news, there was a write-up a few months ago, CNN released a statement saying that they were going to put rules in place 
for how they use the term breaking news. If you've ever watched CNN enough, you see that every five seconds, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news, and it's just like somebody left the faucet on. Okay, well, why did I need to stop and listen to that, right? So we have this relationship with breaking and shocking news. Sometimes we gravitate towards it, sometimes we push away from it, and there are times where we are desensitized to it. Last week, um, Dan Waitman started reading from John chapter 13 and preached a message from there. And in John chapter 13, this is where Jesus starts what theologians call the farewell discourse. John chapter 13 and for the chapters following that. So in this section, there are some things that are about to happen. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, I need you to be ready. I'm not going to be here, but please carry on. Be prepared and be focused on the mission that I have taught you and the mission that is at hand. Now just imagine for a moment, just, just stop and think about what the disciples may have been going through, what they may have been experiencing. You know, they left everything that they had to follow this rabbi, this teacher, to follow this guy, and they leave everything behind. They follow him, and they see a bunch of miraculous things happening, a lot of good work, and they're challenged in a lot of ways. And then all of a sudden, he says, I'm leaving you. I'm I'm going. There's some things that's about to go down, and I just need you to know that. Just imagine what they would have been feeling. But the thing about it is, is that as Jesus was preparing to leave them, he gives them one final instruction, one final teaching in this farewell discourse. And this is the thing I love about Jesus. Whenever he comes into our lives, he doesn't come empty-handed. And so he gives something to them as parting. And so John chapter 15, verses 9 to 17, this is where we're going to pick it up today. It reads, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You, greater love, has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Again, this section is called the farewell discourse. This is Jesus wrapping things up and saying, be aware that there are some things coming down the pipeline. Now, what we see in this passage where John uses the word love, this is the word agape, and many of you may have heard this term before. This is the Greek word that is in reference to the love of God, God's type of love, and it's fashioned between the relationship of God and Jesus. So Jesus says, as the Father loved me, so I love you. Now go and love one another in the same way, all right? And this love, this type of love, bears fruit in community. This is how God's love is made manifest, again, incarnate 
It is putting flesh onto this kind of love, right? So Jesus comes incarnate, the, the presence of God in the flesh, and then challenges us to go and live out into the world the same type of love, to be the hands and feet for Christ in the world. And as Jesus talks about this sense of community and love, Jesus makes a striking pivot, I think, in verse 15, where he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And the last minute note that I made today was when we look at this word friend, philos, in the Greek, that means that Jesus um, was not just trying to talk about like loose friendships, but it was a friendship of the love. And that the same way that Jesus loved his friends is the same way that that love is to be reciprocated amongst one another. This kind of love is a love that is, you ought to accept the love of Jesus, to be loved by him, because sometimes it's hard to accept love, if we're honest. To love and be loved by Jesus, that is what it means to be a friend of Jesus. So Jesus wasn't just saying bye to his students or his apprentices or his disciples. He was saying bye to some of his friends, to people that he journeyed with. And I think it's really important that we look at that part of Jesus' story because it's so easy for us to go the extreme of looking at his divinity and saying, well, he was God. But we forget that there was this human component to Jesus as well, that he felt just like we felt, and he had relationships just in the same way that we had relationships. And so Jesus, as a teacher and friend, demonstrated how not just to say goodbye, but to prepare for what's next. The Lenten journey, I think, is marked by this as well, that saying goodbye to things or seasons as we prepare for something more, and that's something more being the resurrection. So just for a few moments, I want to talk about how we can have good news and goodbyes, how we can have good news and goodbyes. And there is a way that we can see this in our personal devotional life, our own spiritual walks, our individual journeys on faith, but then also manifest in our relationships. So one of the ways that we can have good news and goodbyes is through tough conversations, right? When we look at the Lenten journey and the way in which these conversations happen about repentance and seeking God and having humility, this is what this season is all about, is to have that tough conversation within ourselves. When we look at one of the traditional confessional prayers, if you've grown up tradition, in a traditional setting like Catholic or Anglican church, maybe you've heard this prayer before. This is the confessional prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors ourselves. And we are truly sorry and humbly repent. This is a way that in our spiritual world that we have a tough conversation with ourselves and we say, I didn't meet the mark. There were some things that God asked me to do. There were some things that God asked me not to do, and I, and I just completely ignored those instructions. And we come to God and we say, God, I humbly repent and show me a better way to live, that I may turn away from this direction and go the other way. But when we think about this in the context of our relationships, some of the best growth we'll find in our friendships is through having uncomfortable conversations, right? It's to go to the place where it's below the surface, and, and when you're bothered by something, you don't just let it go by, but you say, hey, we need to talk about this. That, that really bothered me when you said that. I, I didn't like the way that that came across. Can you help me to understand what was going on there, right? And we'll see some of the most beautiful moments in our friendships and our relationships bloom 
out of having those tough conversations because now there's no facade. There's no mask. There's nothing that's shielding us and there's no niceties and, and cordial behavior. Now, now we're getting to the real crux of what it is to know one another. So one of the reasons we can have good news and goodbyes is through having tough conversations, which Jesus did. He said that this is, there's some stuff that's going to happen. You're not going to like it, but, but this is where we are. And the second thing, I think, is through providential relationships. And I use that word intentionally. To have good news and goodbyes, we can see them through our providential relationships or the relationships that God has placed in our lives for a reason. When we think about this again in our spiritual journey as we go through Lent, we are not walking to Easter alone, right? This, this, this Christian faith is not meant to be lived alone. We are walking with others who are submitting themselves in self-denial to the pursuit of God, right? And that's why it's important for us to attend to these moments of worship and gatherings and places where we can grow together. One of the things that our small group, my small group, we talk about is um, showing up, right? And we talk about showing up for one another, that we show up for God. We give God everything that we have. We show up for one another. When one person is weak, we lift them up, and then we show up for ourselves. And showing up is the most important thing we can do. It's not just about physical presence, but it's about our whole self. How do we show up for God, for ourselves, and for others? And in our relationships, we can, I think, really look back on how God has placed people in our lives with gratitude. That these people had such an impact on our lives that they were the hands and feet of Christ, the incarnate and fleshed, showing us what God's love is actually like. And, you know, sometimes we often say, boy, people come into our season, in our lives for seasons and for reasons, right? And, and sometimes we say that, like, in a pejorative way, like, in a very negative, like, my haters this and my haters that kind of way. You all know how I feel about this whole talk about haters, right? But I think one of the most beautiful things that we can actually think about this is, is, yes, people do come into our lives for seasons and for reasons. They do come into our lives to give us a gift that God put into their hands, right? And so whether they're in our lives for a long period of time or for a short period of time, we ought to stop and reflect and give God thanks for these providential relationships, the ways in which God has placed people in our lives to show us his light and his love. So we can have good news and goodbyes by having tough conversations, by looking at our providential relationships and having gratitude for those, and finally, through having steadfast hope. When we look at John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13, Jesus says this to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Through this 40-day season of Lent, it can feel like a long journey. How much more I have to give up sweets? How much more I got to give up meat? How much more I have to give up social media, right? How much more do I have to walk through this wilderness? And maybe this wilderness period for you in your life, whatever that looks like, feels extended. It feels like it's a longer period of time than you care for. But what Jesus is saying is that this is not the end. This moment, this thing that you're experiencing right now does not define your story. It does not define your life. There will be more revelation to come, more of the Spirit of God, more insight. So cling to the hope that even though the night is here, the morning is coming.
and the sun will shine again. And when I think about this in our relationships, that everything Jesus said to them was really undergirded by this sense of hope. This hope that there was more to come. He says about the Spirit, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus is not leaving them empty-handed. And so when the seasons or dynamics change in our relationships, let's not focus on the negative things that we're going through, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, right? But let's focus on the gifts and the opportunities that are right in our hands. So we can have good news and goodbyes. We can have good news and goodbyes through tough conversations, through these providential relationships, the ways in which God puts people into our lives, and to cling to the steadfast hope that everything that God has given us up to this point, God, will, God is true to his promises and will see us through whatever is the next phase of our lives. I want to pivot to a story in the Old Testament and really dovetail this idea together. You may know the story of Elijah and Elisha, this relationship, this mentorship, and this kinship in a lot of ways. Um, their story is one that is really beautiful and looks a lot like the disciples and Jesus's. But Elisha was about to get some breaking news. Elisha would understand that Elijah would be swept up into heaven and would be taken away from him. Now, before all of this goes down, right, Elijah is going from place to place, just ministering, being the prophet of God that he is. And he tells Elijah every time that he moves from spot to spot, listen, stay here. God sent me somewhere. I got some things to do. I'm coming back. And every time he says that to Elijah, Elisha, he replies, no, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And this happens several times, over and over again. And on the final time, this is what we read happens. When he says to him, no, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Second Kings chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. Then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water, and the waters parted on one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Now, often in this story, a lot of preachers and people focus on the passing of the mantle, right, from Elijah to Elisha, and focus really on the super spiritual aspect of this story. But again, I want us to really pay attention not to the divine parts of the stories in Scripture, but also the human parts of it, that we can see ourselves in this story, that there's a relational dynamic here. There are some parallels between the farewell discourse and what we see happening between these two prophets, Elisha and the disciples got some unexpected news, unbelievable news, news that they couldn't care for in the moment, right? And they wanted to cling to their teacher as long as they could. And let me just put a pin right here and just say that as we read these two stories, let's not see ourselves as Jesus or Elijah, right? We are the disciples. We are Elisha. I don't know about you, but I know what it is to just cling on to what was comfortable, what once was, and to choose present comfort over the possibilities to come. 
I know what that's like. And so what we read happening later in this passage, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, this is very interesting what happens. And so Elisha took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him when he was swept up into heaven and went back and stood at the same bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that Elijah had fallen, that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, the water parted on one side and to the other and Elisha went over. Notice how Elisha performs the same miracle as his predecessor, signaling a divine yet also relational handoff here. And so in the same way, Jesus is passing on this ministry, this mantle to his disciples. It's going back to John chapter 14. This is what he says to them. John chapter 14, verses 12 to 13. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. I like this part in the scripture that says, and they will do even greater things than these. I had a student one time when I was in youth ministry asked me, what does it mean that you can do greater things when Jesus did greater things than him? How is that even possible? Doing greater things than Jesus doesn't mean that we're better than him. It means that we're better because of him. When Jesus says that you will go on to do even greater things, it's because he knows that he has taught and put potential and placed uh, giftings inside each one of them has developed these gifts so that they may be able to go and do things in their own context in ways that Jesus may have never even imagined or dreamed of, that they couldn't even imagine or dream of. And what we see in both scriptures, the readings, is that both teachers must move on to make room for their, I almost said apprentices, their friends, their kin, to flourish. And it, it's not fun news, but it's good news. As a pastor's kid, I've had to say my fair share of goodbyes. Um, whether it was because we moved to go to a different church or a different island, or whether it's just you had the proximity to people where you're experiencing their loss with them, right? Um, and even as an adult church worker, I've had to say goodbyes a lot. Every four to six years when I was in youth ministry, I was seeing a whole new crop of students, watching some graduate, go off to college, get married, all of this stuff. But every time I've had a chance to look back at these experiences, I could see why those hard conversations were important. Because those allowed me to have deeper, meaningful relationships with people, which is why I miss them so much when they left. Why I miss them so much when I left. And those deep relationships gave me hope for the future because I know that if those relationships are so meaningful to them, they're not going to want to keep that to themselves that they're going to want to go back to their context wherever they move to and show that same kind of love to others. In one of my last churches, I reminded the group that this is not, you know, me leaving is not about one person, right? It's not just about one entity, one person, one individual. People will come and go. That's just the reality of life, right? But the love that is embodied in community is where God's presence is most deeply felt. And that is the thing that we ought to focus on. So as I prepare to leave full-time ministry here at MPCC, 
um, I reflect on, um, one of the things that Pastor Matthews didn't mention was Hurricane Dorian happened that September 2019, and I came on staff in 2019. The pandemic happened in March of 2020. And so I came in, he's right, I came in in the midst of all kinds of change and stuff. I, I have no context of what things were like when they were normal times, right? Um, but what I loved about that season, even though it was hard in a lot of ways, was that it allowed me to have some tough conversations with folks. It had me having hard conversations with myself. Um, and it really made me think about the ways in which I developed these deep relationships, not just with the staff and the leadership, but with you all. That every Sunday and I get to stop and shake hands and say hi, um, that, that means a lot to me. That I get to see your faces every Sunday, that we get to sing and we get to worship together. And that gives me hope. The hope and the potential that there are even greater things to come than in the past 30 years. And so... Um, I'm just so grateful um, for the opportunity and the chance to get to play a small part in what God is doing here at MPCC, how God is bringing heaven to earth through this community. And so wherever I go next, I know that um, everything that I've learned here, because I learned a lot um, about ministry and about myself and all of the love that I've received from you all, um, that I carry that with me and that I, I treasure that. So what I've learned in goodbyes as I begin to close, that it's never really the end for any one person, but it's the continuation of God's kingdom unfolding for everyone. And goodbyes can be opportunities to continue to walk into the goodness of God. See, Jesus wasn't just breaking the news to his disciples, right? He was extending an invitation into more than they could ask, think, or imagine. Because the God who was with them when they journeyed from town to town together is the same God who promised to be with them and to sustain them from age to age as the body of Christ. And the same is true for us today. And for that kind of news, I say, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, I thank you so much for this community. Every person gathered, every person that's not here, but that is here in spirit and for all of those watching online. Thank you for the ways in which you've brought this church um, to a place that has been a beacon of light and love and hope in our Bahama land and abroad. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to get to serve this, your people called by your name. And Lord, as we prepare to come to this now, your table, Remind us that this is a table that you have set before us, that you welcome all to come and to partake and to taste and see that you are good and your mercy endures forever and your truth lasts through all generations. In Jesus' name, amen.